Hello, and welcome to the Pinecast. I'm joined today by Andrew Mangan of Arsblog. You can follow him on Twitter at Arsblog and check out his fine writing and podcasts all at arsblog.com. Welcome, Andrew. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, man. Good to be back. Good to, good to be on again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's probably been, I don't know, a year and a half, two years since we've had you on. But we've been a, mm. we've, we've slowed down the Pinecast a bit, but we're uh, trying to ramp this thing back up and going with more Half Pinecast. Half Pinecast. <laughs> Yeah, yes, indeed, indeed. So we have now come to the conclusion of the January transfer window, and what a month it has been for Arsenal. It has certainly been Mm. very different from what we're accustomed to. Um, Where where do you put and rate this in terms of, you know, movement and what it means for the team moving forward? Well, that's a good question. Where I, I think it's been positive, really, to be honest, I don't think it was quite what anyone was expecting. I'm not sure how much the club were expecting to do in January. But I think a, a collection of circumstances presented themselves where they just kind of had to make some decisions, whereas in the past, perhaps they might have they might have erred on the side of caution. They might have said, yeah, we're comfortable enough with what's going on or where we are or the players we have. And this time they went, no, we've, we've really got to change something. So... Someone like uh, Theo Walcott going out, Francis Coquelin going out, which was a little bit of a surprise. Theo Walcott going out, having been left on the bench. You know, it would have been easy for Arsene Wenger to keep him just because that's what he's always done, you know, sure. and just have him as this reassurance. And then uh, just going to Manchester United uh, is a huge thing. And even Olivier Giroud going to Chelsea. Uh, I know there was Giroud was part of the Aubameyang puzzle, but... You know, look at those players that went out. Um, Walcott, Giroud and and Alexis scored 60% of our goals last season. So for a team to move three players like that on in January is pretty much unprecedented. And for a team like Arsenal, a club like Arsenal, that's always been, I guess you would say, uh, risk-averse would be a good way of putting it. It to, sure. to do it in January and to make those decisions has just been it's been fun, kind of. Um, certainly different, yeah. Different, I mean, isn't that the thing though? Are we or haven't we been looking for something different for so long now that that when they do it and they've really done it in fairness, we I don't think we can complain because. I think the worst thing would have just been to sit and just to sort of hope that the players that we had could somehow do better than they've done last season or the season before, the season before, or the season before. And, and we, we've, we've all seen that too and many I'm, times. I'm all for different. Yeah, we, we've seen that too yeah. many times with us sitting on that and having to make a late season run with, you know, adding what, a backup left back. You know, you know the Aloni signing, you know, a Kim mm. Kalstrom, you know, someone who... You know, it, you know, in real effect, isn't doing a you know isn't going to do a lot to change the composition of the team. I, I feel like the window. I mean, our window was certainly exceptional from a sense of doing you know being so much more proactive. But it also seemed like the window just across Europe was much more action packed. I mean, there were so many big players moving. It seemed almost like. You know what I mean? When we're used to, we're used to that they're not being mm. the big players waiting till summer. You know the, the signings that you thought, well, surely they, you know, surely Liverpool won't let Coutinho go now. It'll be in the summer. No, that shit happened yeah. right away. You know, and and this seemed symptomatic of everything across across the board. That I mean, the, you know, the money gets out of control, but that you know there actually were lots of pieces moving around that you know in years past we would have said most of those deals. You know, in, you know, if you said early in the season, you said most of those deals would have waited until summer in years past. Yeah, it's true. And maybe clubs have realized that they kind of have to do something, um, 
you know, the easy thing is not to do anything or to do something safe, to do something cautious. Um, and Liverpool, you know, when you think about what they did, they sold probably their best player, right? Yeah, I know Salah has been outstanding this season, and uh, but Bukatini has been their best. But player just the based over the yeah, yeah, exactly. Based over the last couple of seasons, they sold their best player. Arsenal sold their best player. Well, moved on their their best player from last season sure. as well. Um, that maybe there's just this acceptance now that okay, the 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 way that the football world is we're going to see a lot more of this movement and maybe a bit more short-term movement as well. You know, I'm not saying Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang are short-term signings, but they're not signings for the next five or six years. They're signings for the next two, three, four years. You right. know, at a push for both of them. And I think clubs are are having to act in that way. Liverpool, I thought, was a bit strange, you know, um, because of where they were in the table. I don't think they were ever going to catch Man City, but... They've made themselves a bit worse, haven't they? You know, I know they spent a lot of money on Van Dyke, but that's not really going to offset what Coutinho um, takes away from you. But you know, from an Arsenal point of view, I'm just sort of glad to be out the other side of it and to immediately have seen what these new guys can bring to the team. Because not only have we moved players on, we've you know we've changed the dynamic of the team in a very real way. We no longer have the the plan B option of Olivier Giroud, right? Yeah. Again, that was a, a safe option, which we don't have anymore. We've got to find a different way to, to play the game. But, you know, like you said, I mean, it's something fresh. And that's something that we've been, mm. you know, I, I, I remember getting up you know, just this past weekend for the match, but being, you know, so excited to see when they, you know, when Obama, Obama Young was in the starting lineup. Mm. You know, you're actually excited to get up to see the match, which is something that has been a sentiment. And I think that we've become, I don't know, increasingly more jaded and less excited because you knew the same shit that we were going to get from the same mm. set of players. And when, you know, when, you're, when your alternatives are to go to Olivier Giroud and, and Theo Walcott on the bench, it doesn't excite too many. I mean, yeah, I, I, I thought I rated Giroud plenty and think he's a fantastic you know, striker and a great option. And I would love to still have him on our bench, but it certainly seems like this was a necessary evil to get the deal across. And I I think it was a sacrifice entirely worth making to bring in a guy like Obama young. Um, And you have this situation now where, you know, all I've wanted for the past couple seasons is to give me something new and excited to hope for. And Mm. you have a player, you know, we knew Alexis was on the way out. Right. So, you know, how much longer do you want to keep going to that? Well, you know, he's, as talented as he was, he was an extremely frustrating player to watch in our system, considering how much he gave away the ball and was wasteful in possession and whatnot, but still had those moments of magic. But it's it feels like they became tougher to enjoy knowing he was one foot out the door, you know, once we got into this season. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, with Alexis, I think the thing is he was an amazing player and is an amazing player and he can do amazing things. But I think he, I don't want to say... You know, there's always this revisionism, isn't there, when a player leaves and you go, well, he wasn't that good or he was, he did this, that wasn't great or he had this kind of impact. But I do think that there, there was a sort of element of him driving this individualism within the team that he became so important. I always remember, I can't remember who it was, Maybe it was Tony Adams talked in his first autobiography about Ian Wright, and he said what a brilliant striker he was. And he was so good that it came at the expense of 
a sense of team in a way because they just said, he's so brilliant, let's give him the ball and watch him score or give him the ball in dangerous positions and watch him score. And the team became very focused on feeding Ian Wright and Ian Wright would score the goals. But, you know, the other side of that is that the the contributions you need from the rest of the team can't keep up and you become so reliant on one player for your goals or for your creativity. I think that was true to an extent with Alexis as well. He was very creative. I know he had uh, Mesut Ozil as well, but it just feels like with players like Mkhitaryan, with Ozil, with Aubameyang, with Lacazette, with Ramsey, they're players who might thrive more uh, by bouncing off each other, by combining with each other right. than they might, you know, if you still have that Alexis figure in the team where he's out there on the left, he's looking for the ball. He, if he's not getting past the ball, he's going to drop deep and pick up the ball and, and try to do something with it. You know, so maybe it was something that Arsenal needed. It's not to downplay anything that Alexis did for us because what he did was was superb for the most part. Um, scored a lot of goals, made a lot of assists, uh, won us games. His individualism won us games, but we got to a point where if he didn't do it, we didn't really have anyone else who did. So maybe this is part of that fresh start and maybe it's a a positive thing for the team uh, going forward. I mean, we have to wait and see, obviously. We've only got the evidence of one game, but maybe it will be. Maybe it's something the team needed as much as Alexis needed to leave. Maybe the team needed Alexis to leave. I think that's that's certainly viable, you know, looking at the other options we have. Um, yeah, and maybe them needing some more freedom and, and it fitting the mm. system. You know, I, I was unable to – we didn't really get too many matches over here in the States when, when Ian Wright was still playing for the club. But I definitely got yeah. – you know, I think we can relate that sentiment also to Henri's last season or two when it seemed in a similar way that we were, you know – particularly in his last season where, you know, it was kind of just feed him the ball and then see what they can do. Um, Even Van Persie, remember when Van yeah. Persie had that, that amazing period, he became yeah. the attacking focal point of the team and, you know, give him the ball and six times, seven times out of 10, he's going to score. But, you know, he's going to have a day or two where it doesn't happen for him. And then where do the goals come from? Right. You know, that was, that was, I'm not saying Van Persie was a problem either. I'm just saying that sometimes the balance of a team can get shifted too far Certainly. towards one individual. And then you've got to do something to, to address that. Now, I mean, ideally you don't sell that player to Manchester United and watch them or watch him help them win the title. But, you know, right. Um, I, I, I think it happens. It's a thing that managers have to deal with. Yeah. And, well, at least we won't have to see that this season with, with Alexis there. <laughs> pretty pretty safe. <laughs> They're not going to win the fucking title. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see what he does for yeah. them in the Champions League. You know, I, I think that's a big reason why yeah, they bought him. Yeah, that's a worry. Yeah. And so, you know, we can only hope that they crash out miserably in a, in a very oh, yeah. embarrassing fashion. Yes, I, uh, I I am very excited <laughs> with, with the new players that, that we've brought in, though. You know, I, I do follow Dortmund in the Bundesliga, and I've been watching those players since they brought them in, um, and, and love you know the interplay that Mkhitaryan and and Aubameyang had, you know, there as well as with Royce whenever he's not broken, you know, emulating his his idol Thomas Rosicki mm. from the from the medical treatment <laughs> table. Um, you know, and, and saw a lot of potential in what they were doing. And, you know, for, for the past few seasons, I've wanted to bring in a player like Aubameyang so we could have that searing pace that, you know, as, you know, I, think I believe James was talking about on the Arscast Extra yesterday was so, such a refreshing aspect to have a player who can skip behind and then just be so clear, mm-hmm. clear through, uh, you know, behind these defenders. And it's just such a, you know, it's such an alien thing for us for the mm-hmm. past few seasons, not having a player with that sort of, uh, you know, ability and just natural talent to be, 
you know, that far ahead of everyone. And that's, and it's a really refreshing thing to see. And, and the, the, the prospect of bringing these two guys in and having them play together with a, you know, a dynamic that they already understand and, you know, players that you see and think will fit with this system. I'm, I mean, I, I think I think there's a great deal to say in terms of these signings have to have had had happened for you know Ozil to sign his contract extension. Do you do you think yeah. you think these are, are connected, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Just I just want to touch on Aubameyang very quickly. Uh, you know, the one thing defenders hate is like. Oh, yeah. They really, really hate dealing with pace. It's why, if you remember when Theo Walcott played a couple of games against Barcelona, I think someone like Messi said, we were really scared of Theo Walcott because, you know, for all their attacking brilliance, defending wasn't necessarily Barcelona's strong point, and they didn't Correct. really always have the quickest defenders. So yeah, someone I mean, like they're, they're playing was, with Mascherano at center back. It's not. Yeah, and Pique. I mean, I, I really like Pique. I think he's a great defender, but he's he's not the quickest. Um, right. Puyol or whoever it was at the time, not the quickest. So someone like Walcott, despite his technical limitations and his sort of ceiling as a player, was still terrifying to a team like Barcelona. So there's something about having a player with with pace that that really gives you a weapon that forces a team to think about how they're going to play against you. Can they can they push up? Can they defend high? Um, and someone like Aubameyang is going to really uh, make a difference in that regard. Going back to the Ozil thing, I don't think there's any question that signing someone like Aubameyang and bringing a player like Mkhitaryan in had a big impact on his uh, on his decision to sign a contract. I think it probably went a little bit further than that. Sure. I think for Ozil to have signed, he must have had assurances beyond these two players about the ambition of the club and what it intends to do, whether that's changes at management level, changes uh, in the playing personnel, changes in how the money is being invested, perhaps changes in I don't know where else. I don't think it was just those two players. I don't think he said, well, if you get those two players, I'll sign. I think he, at 29 years of age, needed to hear that Arsenal were serious. And we saw perhaps that Arsenal have become to get a bit serious because we spent, you know, 45, 48 million pounds on Lacazette in the summer. That was our transfer record. And we're not known for... um, Splashing big, yeah, breaking the bank in that way, right? But and and particularly if we have splash big, we tend to stick rather than twist. And what we've done is twist with Aubameyang. Sure. Um, and I'm quite happy to have both of those players. So I think to have been a bit more about Ozil's decision to sign, and I think that's something we should be encouraged about the fact that he has decided for all that he likes London for all the big money that he's going to get at Arsenal now the pay rise and everything else I think we should be encouraged not just by the fact that he's staying but by the fact he was convinced to stay by what is going on and what is going to go on at Arsenal so we can just speculate we can only speculate about what those things might be but I'd be very surprised if there wasn't some something laid out in front of him that made him go, okay, all right, I'll do it. Right. Because he'll want to win Champions League at some point, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you, they went on, you know, Real Madrid went and won the Champions League twice since he left. So I'm sure that's something that probably mm. sticks in his memory, particularly. Mm. Um, you know, we, we do have a chance to go out and win a European trophy this season still with the Europa League. So, I mean, that's, you know, uh, you know, and to these players, a player like Mesut Ozil, who has won, 
everything else, basically. It's not as appealing when you're used to the, the champagne football, the Champions League. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I certainly think that your point about them demonstrating the ambition and, and setting a tone um, is a very encouraging sign, a very encouraging sign. You know, with him, you know, I, I always felt, uh, you know, and maybe, you know, it's just fucking intuition. I, you know, you have no no real knowledge as to what, what really was going on in his mind, but you you definitely felt that this is a guy who did have a genuine love for London and for the club and for everything, but that needed to have his sporting ambitions matched by what was going on for him to resign. So, I mean, uh, you know, Joseph and I have spoken on this podcast many times before that, like, if he's doing something that's going to make, you know, spark the the management and the, the higher, you know, the hierarchy at the club to make changes to do something better to hold on to him, then he's doing all of us fans a service as well by, you know, by demanding yeah. to see something good out of the club. Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point because, you know, when you have players like like Ozil, uh, they are the players that you should build your team around. But you've got to pay attention to to what they want and what they need. And I think that's something that's been disappointing over the last 10 years, maybe even 12 years, perhaps since Fabregas broke through into the team. I, I felt like we've got to a point where we we've almost had the right team almost and what we needed to do was build around key players and we didn't do it we didn't give him what he needed to help him thrive right so we have this amazing midfield player one of the greatest talents in Europe um heading into his peak years and we're saying to him play with Alex Song play with Danielson play with Abu Dhabi, who you know I like as a player, but you know the, the guy was just absolutely ruined by by injury. Yeah. I always I, like there's a number of things I've I've big regrets on sure. that we didn't push through, and I always remember Xavi Alonso being on the brink of a move to oh, Arsenal, God. and the the reason the reason it didn't go through is, is up for debate. Some people will say it's because Arsenal didn't pay two hundred thousand. Uh, pounds or two million pounds. Uh, other people right. will say it's because Aston Villa wouldn't sell Gareth Barry to Liverpool. Um, but you know, I think about what might have been if we'd had Xabi Alonso alongside uh, Cesc Fabregas, and then you think, what would it have been like if we had Xabi Alonso, Cesc Fabregas, and a fit, rejuvenated Robin van Persie, who's making it as one of the top strikers in Europe? Sure. And then you maybe build a little more around him. You know, you build something around that trio and then you add something uh, special around them as well. You know, what what might have happened? And I feel, you know, that we haven't really made the most of the great players that we've had. And even Alexis, to an extent, I think we've we've done it. We've done it there to not perhaps not the same extent because, you know, the Fabregas van Persie were players we brought through. But you do have to when you've got really great players give them the best chance to do what they can do best. And that is by surrounding them with other good players. They don't all have to be 50, 70 million pound players, but you have to maybe make some tough decisions about guys who are like, okay, you're good. You're a good player, but player. Right. And you make, you make those decisions. You're a bit more ruthless. And I don't think we've done that as a club. And I, you know, Arsene Wenger 
is a very human orientated manager as well, isn't he? He wants to believe the best in his players and he wants to believe they can reach this potential that yeah. he sees in them, that he sees in some of those that we don't we don't see it sometimes. Right. And he proves us wrong from time. But you know, it it does seem in in that in that aspect that he he's he takes that to an extreme, you know, he's 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 loyal to mm-hmm. a fault to certain players, and we've seen that yeah. Yeah. repeatedly over the course of his managerial career with different players. And right, you know, and he he takes you know those cases where he ends up being proven right and does that and holds that you know sticks that up in your face and like oh, but I was right about this guy. And you know, mm-hmm. th- these are all individual case by case scenarios. And I know, I know there's several of, of us who who really resent some of the decisions. I, I thought not bringing back Fabregas was an idiotic move just because. You know, like, we just brought in Mkhitaryan, right? He, he's going to be mm-hmm. able to play with Ozil. Why couldn't Fabregas play with Ozil? You know, and, and those kind of things where I feel like yeah. ego got in the way of some of these decisions. And you do stuff. I, I know uh, I know Tim Stillman and I both, and I know you were a fan of Chesney as well, you know, lament, yeah. lament getting rid of him. You know, a guy who is going to be the number one at, at Juve next season. You know, he's playing amazingly well, who loved the club and was part of our culture. You know, and it's a guy that should be in the sticks for us right fucking now. Um, yeah, you know, so, yeah. so th- those, I, I, you know, those are kind of stuff to deal with, but yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, we don't know everything that went on and we don't know, um, all the reasons why things broke down, uh, you know, particularly with the Chesney one, I, but yeah. I, I felt like that one in particular, right. That was one where I know for a fact that when they sent him out on loan, you know, stuff had gone wrong and he had become a bit complacent and he'd taken his place for in the team for granted and he didn't behave as well as he should have. But when they sent him on loan, they didn't close the door. It wasn't one of those loans where they said, we're going to send him on loan and we're going to actively try and sell him. Right. They wanted to see what he did. They wanted to see how he would behave if he could improve as a player and if he, you know, matured as a person. So he goes to Italy, spends a season on loan. It was relatively successful. He goes back to Italy again, spends another season on loan. He gets married. He's grown up. He's got... He had, he had the most clean sheets. Becomes in, a top... Yeah, he had the most yeah. clean sheets in Serie A that season, right? He becomes a top goalkeeper. Yeah. A really top goalkeeper in Europe. And he's got beyond the point where he's a kid who's had it perhaps a bit too much too soon. You know, 19 years of age when he was made the Arsenal number one, took things for granted a little bit, went abroad, learned a different culture, learned a different kind of football, performed at a high level. And he's an Arsenal boy. And, you know, he loves the club. He was an Arsenal fan before he came. And now he's playing for Juventus, one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's taking over from Buffon. You know, he's he's keeping clean sheets, He's a better player than he was when he left. And yeah. I don't think when he left, he was as bad a goalkeeper as people said. You know, you've got to also take into account our calamitous defenses. Yeah, I mean, and that, you know, that's, a bit, that's a bit that of a... He's been playing... People like to be, you know, write revisionist mm-hmm. history to, to fit what whatever they feel is right. So if they feel that... Yeah, they look, I'm them. sure I'm sure it's easier to look like a better goalkeeper at Juventus where you've got a well-drilled, <laughs> organized defense sure. playing for one of the best teams in the league. We can all see that, that that's... That's that's going to make your life a little bit easier as a goalkeeper. But I, I, you know, I looked at our goalkeeping situation. We Petr Cech, who's thirty-five, and David Ospina. Look, you know, nice guy. Ospina seems a you know a decent sort and everything else, but like not the long-term answer to our goalkeeping problems. You know, bring back Chesney, even if he had to understudy. Uh, bring back Chesney, give him a new deal, and even if he has to understudy Czech for a year, I think he would have done it. 
I think he would have. Yeah. Because he went to Juventus to understudy Buffon for a year, right? Right. So, yeah, some of the decisions, they they, they don't make sense to me. Or you. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, maybe we don't know the full picture. That's yeah. the only thing. Yeah, that one was tough. I mean, I suppose the, you know, the news of... Uh, What's our new guy that we brought him from Barcelona saying his top target is, is Oblak? I mean, that would go a long way to helping, um, you know, close up that wound a bit if we could bring in a guy with that sort of talent. But, but yeah, I'm with you. You know, it was, it was unf- well, I don't know, well, not unfathomable to me just because you know how Arsene Banger works in the sense that it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah. but, you know, you, ha- you have this guy and it's just, you know, it's, it's right there in front of you. I, I thought entirely should have come back in, whether it was, last, you know, this season or the season before. And if he has to be the cup keeper, then so be it. I mean, look, it's worked out pretty well for Chesney when when he's the backup. Things happen, bad things happen to whoever's ahead of him, right? Like injuries yeah. befall anyone that stands between Chesney's way and and the starting lineup. So I I think we would have seen him in goal quite often. But um, yeah, but it's tough to say. How, how do you yeah, like? I mean, do you, do you do you like uh, just to get back a little bit off topic on that? But is the do you, do you feel like? I mean, obviously, goalkeeper needs to be a priority for Arsenal in this upcoming summer. Is a guy like Oblak someone that that excites you? Yeah, I mean, we've got to buy someone for the future, don't we? Um, He's a very uh, exciting goalkeeper. I'm not sure, you know, I I worry about the price that he might um, command. Um, Atletico tend to do pretty good business on their end. They do. He's got a big, big uh, release clause. I think it's somewhere around 100 million euros. Um, but yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I mean, look, you, you you can you can start doing the gymnastics in your head, can't you? We've bought Aubameyang, and I, I like Lacazette, and I think we need two good strikers at the club. But Atletico were after Lacazette last summer. You know, mm-hmm. could that, you that could, could you do something ship. there? Yeah, I mean, swap deals were things we're all aware of, but generally quite rare. You know, they didn't happen that often. And we've seen during this transfer window that that swaps are becoming a bit more common. Do do you think that has more... The the inflated price of players. Yeah. I think it's because of the price of players. Just Um, just the drastic inflation in price? Or do you think it has anything to do with FFP? Or just just because the numbers are getting so ridiculous, they want to offset the the, the major outlet? Yeah, maybe, maybe all of those things. But I think, you know if you've got two players valued at more or less the same or you've got a player valued at 30 million and you're trying to buy somebody for, you know, I, I think it will become a little bit more common. Um, but yeah, someone like Oblak would be great. I'm not sure who else is out there. I know there's, uh, they're they're talking about uh, Timo Horn who uh-huh. plays for... for you're Cologne? the Bundesliga, dude. Come on, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that, is that uh, Cologne? I should Google it here while we're talking. Uh, yeah, he's plays for Cologne. So... Hey. Um, there you go. And uh, yeah, that's that's the guy that Mislintat has apparently identified. And uh, the guy from Barcelona, Raul Sanlehi, has, uh, has spoken about uh, Oblak or you know, made it known via sport who, who are one of the Catalan newspapers, sure. who he would obviously have great connections with because of his time at Barcelona, um, that the Oblak is the guy that he would like to bring in. So whether that's, uh, you know, who knows what the strategy is. Right. We'd like to think that we don't have two people struggling behind the scenes to get their players in. You wouldn't want Mislin <laughs> um Yeah, yeah. Hope, hopefully not the two, the two of, new guys. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't want that. And I, and I don't know. And the thing no. is, I know it's not our money. So in this point, when you're like, "Well, would you want them to spend that money?" I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, like so much. There's so much money at the club. 
you know, if, if, as long as they get the guy they want, I'm happy about it. You know, like I have to think that if if the you know the buyout clause is something around 100 million euros or whatever it is, that's not a that's not an amount of money that I would think Wenger would ever want to spend. But it seems like that's increasingly becoming less of his his issue, which I think for most of us, yeah. think that's that's probably a good thing. Um, I do have. Yeah, you have to break it down as well, don't you? Sorry, go, yeah, I just no, no, go on. very quickly when you talk about money and you, 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 if you're buying a 25 year old goalkeeper, um, he's a guy who could play for 10 years, right? So over the course of 10 years, that's where you, that's how you view that Absolutely. transfer fee. I don't think it'll be anywhere near 100 million. Arsenal are not going to pay 100 million pounds <laughs> for a goalkeeper, <laughs> and the, and the the release clauses are are um you know they're set way way higher than the player's actual market value. So yeah, so that you can't if you're looking just at something like 30, 40 million pounds. Yeah, sure. you know, but that's that's money that years. That's how you that's how you justify it. And like you say, it's not our money. So who gives a fuck? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, but, you know, so this has been, I do think, you know, what, what we've seen in terms of these transfers being being done and increasingly being taken out of Wenger's hands in terms of how these negotiations go, you know, and like I said, he did give some credit to Mislintat for, you know, making these deals easier with, you know, with Aubameyang and dealing with Dortmund and whatnot, that, mm. that it is a refreshing sign. Um, you know, Joseph, Mr. Uh, I hate your club is unable to be with us, but he wanted to ask you if, um, I mean, do you think anything is really going to change between now and May? Like, is, is is the changes we've seen, I mean, he says, we have shiny new pieces, but the same chess master. Does anything change? Well, I'm not sure much can change with the, the people that we've appointed anyway. You know, the head of recruitment and the head of football relations won't really have any impact on anything that happens on the pitch or the coaching sure. or anything like that. I think we've seen a little bit of a change in the January window, for sure. There's definitely been a change there. I, I, uh, David Ornstein was on the, the yeah. PRS cast last week, and he said, look, you know, these guys are there and they're doing work. And, you know, they have changed the dynamic a bit behind the scenes, but ultimately not much happens without Wenger's uh, approval or sign-off. Sure. Um, so even if, let's say, Gazidis and Mislintat and Sanlehi wanted to buy Aubameyang and Wenger didn't, I don't think Arsenal would be buying Aubameyang. You know, you can't, you just can't do it, I guess. You just can't buy a player that a manager doesn't want if he says, I do not want this player. It's very difficult for a club to go out and spend, you know, 55, 60 million pounds on a player. Sure. Um, which isn't to say you shouldn't necessarily, particularly if the manager's only there for another little while and you've got an opportunity to bring in a player that another manager might want to work with. Um, but in terms of the team, in terms of will anything change? I mean, I think, I think the way we, we could play has changed. Um, the way we attack, the way that we're set up from an attacking point of view, and the way that the way that we can now something a, a little different to think about because we've been predictable. We've only played one way, you know, with with Giroud, even with Lacazette in the team. We sort of played in a very played like he was a kind of Giroud player. Right. Like so many times he had to receive the ball on the edge of the box with his back to goal and look to combine or look to try and make space for a shot. We didn't really alter the way we played. We've got to do that now with Aubameyang because of his pace and Mkhitaryan because of his his uh, his creativity and the way that 
the way that he'll like to move the ball around in the final third, I think we've got to change the way we play. But that's about it, you know. You you, you can't help but have worries over goalkeeping and defending and midfield. Those those issues are still there. The mental fragility that we have, the psychological issues that we have that are apparent every time we play away from home, for the most part, are still there. And the inconsistency, I think, is just something that is now a... a a fundamental part of what we get from Arsene Wenger. That's, I don't think anything can change from that point of view until the main thing changes, and that's that's a new coach or a new manager. Right. Yeah, I I have to agree with you there. I mean, it's just it's really tough seeing seeing that dynamic change completely. I mean, I, I I'm happy. You know, it was super refreshing to see you know this, these new pieces come in and and fire yeah. and, and Arsenal look like a, a well oiled machine. You know, particularly in that first half when we when we blitzed when we blitzed them. Um, but I don't know. I mean, do you think? I mean, obviously the the go to people will say is to you know to come in and, and make more signings in the summer. You know, whether we make a coaching change at that point, you know, it's entirely up for debate. I mean, who fucking knows what. What Wenger's mm. going to do? I mean, I, I know that you know many people have been been quick to to want to you know drop the axe in terms of you know getting rid of Wenger for a long time, and and a few of us have come around to it more as an inevitability and something that needs to happen more recently. You know, I know you know it took you a while to mm. make the stance official that that's what you wanted, but I mean you know it, it's tough because I mean I, I've only I've only known Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, you know, and that's yeah. you know, and it's like no, but I've, I've been supporting Arsenal for over twenty. Well, yeah, he's been here that fucking long. You know, you know, so it, it is, it's going to be a big transition for many of us. Well, for everyone, for everyone, it's going to be a huge transition, mm. um, you know, after such such an era. And I, I don't know, you know, we, we talked about it, you know, we looked at it last year and you, you see he could have gone out on a high with winning the FA Cup. And it almost seems mm. like it would it would do him a lot of benefit to actually announce it being his last season at some point, whether that's this year or if it officially is next year, but not to leave any questions. You know, if it has to be when his contract runs out, you know, and that that'll be his last yeah. season. But but to unify people in in celebrating him, knowing that it's finally going to come to an end. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing, though, um, to announce that you're going, to announce that it's going to be your last season because it, it removes a layer of authority from a manager over sure. his players because essentially they're looking at him regardless of whether they do it consciously or subconsciously they're looking at him as dead man walking right. basically that he's not going to be there they're not accountable or not as accountable as they should be which is why I think going into the last year of his contract is um an ideal time probably to go? yeah I think it should be that I think it should be this summer and, and what I'd love to see happen of course is is for us to go and win the Europa League if we could finish top four or, or win the Europa League either of those things would be a positive end to the season for us I think winning a trophy a European trophy would be the ideal situation because I think he missed a tr- missed a chance to go out on a high after the Chelsea Cup final um, right and I don't necessarily blame him entirely for that you know um because if you think back to last may we had this whole what months and months and months of people you know saying are you staying are you staying are you going are you staying what's happening what's going on are you staying are you staying and he wouldn't be drawn and it just became this all-encompassing thing it was it was a fucking shitstorm. it was it was a bunch of it was shit. absolutely it, just, it was it was, uh, it was appalling yeah and we can't we can't do that again 
We can't have that next season where we get to January or February and it's just, are you staying, are you going, are you staying, are you going? And, I, you know, I've outlined my issue with a manager saying he's going. Right. Because I think that that makes players take their foot off the pedal. Sure. So that's not, neither of those situations is ideal. So when I talk about May 2017, I don't think it was entirely Wenger's 100% full-on desire to stay that, that made him stay. I think maybe he felt a little, little bit of responsibility sure. to the club. And if he'd wanted to walk away in May, winning a cup final in brilliant fashion against Chelsea, he knew he was walking away from a club at which he spent 21 years, 22 years, that he clearly loves. Whether you think he's good enough to do the job anymore, I don't think you can in any way doubt his his love for the club. Sure. And he looked at that club and went, if I go, they don't have the people here to... Yeah, the infrastructure isn't in place. To take over. Right, yeah, the infrastructure's not there. If you, When we look at this May, if we go to Leon and win the Europa League final, he can walk away on a high with a trophy, knowing that there's a head of recruitment there. There is, uh, what the, what's he called? Head of football relations, which is basically director of football which is what a big club needs right. these days. So you've a head of recruitment, director of football. You've got a chief executive who will, in some ways, step into the realm or step in and take a bit more responsibility because that's what Ivan Gazidis will, will have to do. There's new fitness people there. A manager will come in and he will bring his own coaching staff. So the club is ready for a change in May if Arsene Wenger wants to walk away or if, and I, I, like I genuinely hope that he can do it. I genuinely, I think after everything, regardless of how frustrating he is, regardless of how many times you've wanted to bang your head off a wall at the way we've played or some of the mistakes we've made or some of the things that he's said or done, I would love nothing more than for him to walk away on a high with a trophy last season and going with, you know, a measure of, of real goodwill from a large proportion of the fan base because I think despite the fact there are more people than ever that would like him to go, I I think the the cohort that really just hate him or can't stand him, I think they're still in kind of a minority. Oh, they, they, they can go fuck themselves. You know, I don't know. It's not have the abuse. But yeah, you know to I mean? not have respect I, for I, Manus I, and all this, is, it seems... I mean, yeah, because it feels like, you know, you have a man who's done so much and committed... You know, the majority of his adulthood, you know, this, this, this is his, you know, opus, you know, this whole, this arsenal project, the, the new stadium, everything has mm. been the world to him. And you, and you see, you know, it's interesting to see, I think, I think you broke it down at one point with someone about, you know, the difference between him and Ferguson and having a life outside of football and something to go to after, which yeah. it seems like Arson doesn't have anything else, to, you know, anything yeah. else that drives him other than being in the middle of, of all this football stuff. Um, but, you know, you do. I don't know. I think this summer is a perfect opportunity for him to leave as well. I think you have a situation where um, there's so many perfect jobs for him to go to. You know, there's a World Cup this summer. How long have France wanted him to be the national team manager? You know, you have you have PSG, you have Real Madrid. I don't think he would do well at Real Madrid per se, but but you know, th- there's mm. opportunities for him to, to to bow out gracefully and to do something. You know, so let's say you know France will probably do pretty well in the World Cup, but they you know 
maybe they'll win. Probably not. You know, and yeah. and, and there'll be there'll be an opportunity for a fresh start and do something like that. Where I don't know. I think that would be the best role for him moving forward to do something mm. like that to to, sh- to shift into international management, whether that be for France or for someone else. I mean, I think France would be the ideal uh, situation for for all parties because yeah. you can see him move on and you can you can get behind him and hope he does well internationally. You know, and and like you said, I mean, the the club is much more ready for that sort of change to happen this season than than in years past. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. The Europa League would be a great, a great boon, a great thing to, for him to leave with to win a European trophy. Something that is, you know, I mean, fuck, we could we could hit up two trophies this season that he's never won before, right? We could win the League Cup and do the Europa League double. Mm, yeah, um, you know, and it isn't the most glorious double, but you know, it's something that would be a, a you know a great achievement for him something to add to his CV and his in his long illustrious list of trophies and stuff that he's won to to add those and to go out on a high you know and the club is ready for it more yeah. now than at any time before yeah i agree with you i mean i think it would be arsenal's um european trophy cabinet is fairly slim you know two two european trophies in our history so to win the europa league would be fantastic and of course not only do you win the europa league you win you in like Champions League entry into in, entry into next season's Champions League, regardless of what happens between now and the end of the season. You know, I just worry though that the inconsistency we have in the Premier League might make us have to decide one way or the other to, to kind of go all in on the Europa League, and if that might, in some ways, also affect the players. Sure, that if the Premier League becomes. If it becomes obvious over the next four or five games that we're not going to make it into the top four, I do wonder how he's going to keep them motivated for the Premier League and also the Europa League, assuming you know we remain in that. I mean, sure. it's yeah, it's real one game at a time territory. Entirely. That's where we are between now and the end of the season. You know, there's finals and. You know, maybe the fact that we are quite good in cups these days might be might be a, a good thing for us if you convince these players that you know this is essentially knockout football we're playing every week, every game. Uh, they might respond to that. But yeah, even with that, that's that's the big danger because with cup football, anything can happen, right? You know, we've had mm. our, we've had our best sides ever bounced in in cup. In, in you know multiple cups when we had you know mm. the, the invincibles in the Champions League and all you know these teams that you know anything can happen in this and there are certainly with the um, with the poor display by some of the teams in the Champions League a few of the teams that got dropped in namely Dortmund and Atletico and whatnot are are um, you know are very dangerous sides and you're going to have to do quite well and ride your luck even you know even if amongst most of the rest of the you know I would say outside of those couple teams our quality. In theory, our quality should be enough to mm. to where you would you know we would be the favorites on paper, but in a cup comp- in a cup competition, anything can fucking happen. So yeah, cer- certainly you know right you know doing pinning your hopes on that is is a tough thing to do. You know, but we've seen other teams. You know, we've seen these other teams do it, and you know with with being being Chelsea, being Man United. Um, I mean, it's a shame. <laughs> If that's the way we're going to qualify, I wish they had the old rule still intact so that we could knock, you know, maybe knock Tottenham out of the top four, <laughs> out of the Champions League again, like Chelsea did a few years back. Yeah. And that would be really enjoyable. Uh, but I mean, I, I'll take the Champions League spot, however the fuck we can get it. Because, you know, I we didn't, yeah. um, I had a strict policy here on the Pinecast that we were never going to talk about the Europa League. <laughs> and that lasted for about five seasons. Because I was like, we're not playing the second-rate fucking competition. We're never going to talk about it. And until that day, we didn't. But 
now we've, we've crossed that threshold. And I, I would like to go back to, you know, keeping it out of, sure. out of our topics. But. Sure. Well, look, yeah, look, uh, nobody, nobody wants the Europa League. But when you're in it, I think you've got you've to really try and win it, you know? Totally. And you look at the clubs that are in it and maybe Dortmund, who we've just robbed of their best striker, by the way. Yeah. Um, although he can't play in, in the Europa League, unfortunately. Um, Napoli, uh, Atletico Madrid, Lyon, maybe, Marseille, you know, Real Sociedad, Milan are in it. But, you know, you got to think we're capable of, on our day, beating any of those teams. Um, assuming we don't, you know, do do anything too Arsenal-y. Um, <laughs> It would be. I think you know we've got a really good chance, and we've got to we've got to we've got to have a good go at it. You know, there's no point being s- snobby about the, the Europa League at this point. Sure, um, it's a trophy and it's entry to the Champions League, so it's you know there's we don't have to debate its importance or anything. Um, you know, even if we want out of it, it's still important for this season. Certainly. Yeah, and it's something we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take seriously, and uh, hopefully we can get the success that we uh, that we really want from that, and that'll uh, propel us into the Champions League. But you know, one way or another, mm. you know, I really do hope they take. I mean, I really don't want it to be where I, I think the best the way we'll get the best out of the players is if they are still in the hunt for the Premier League at the same time. And, and we've always run on yep. such a fucking knife's edge, you know, when we've had to put together those runs in the second half to <laughs> barely get back in the top four, whether it be yeah. whether it be Aston Villa fucking up or someone else, you know. The, you know, but, like, barely getting in, having to put together a run of 10, you know, it's like, you know, needing that pressure to perform of having to win every fucking mm. match. And that, and really, and that all starts with this weekend. You know, we have a huge derby against, against a, you know, a Tottenham team who I, I think, you know, you, you watched the match against Liverpool, right, this weekend? Their match? I saw bits. bits I didn't yeah. see it all. Yeah, I saw the, the highlights match of the day and everything. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they're a team that has a lot of attacking potential, but I don't think they're playing at their absolute best at the moment. But, you know, we're at, we're at a moment where, you know, a loss here could really just fucking completely, completely just say, mm. you know, put another nail in our coffin in that sense. So, I mean, I was reading, you know, what you were talking about and um, – about how much we need to get a result out of this. And I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, this is, you know, a win. You know, we need to go on the road and get a win, which is not something we're we're quite good at doing this season. It it, 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 fucking, no. it fucking never ceases to amaze because what was it? Was it just two or three seasons ago we had the best away record in the league? You know, and that team yeah. had all of its frailties, but yet away getting the away wins against shitty opposition on a on a cold, wet night somewhere was something that we would do. And yet, so I, I, I don't know. This shit just boggles my mind on occasion. Um, what do you, yeah, what do you, what, because you know why? You know why? We, we, we don't know or can't figure any good reason as to why it happens. Yeah. Why are we so good away from home one season and poor at home? Why are we so brilliant at home this season and shit away? I don't fucking know. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> it there, and there's, there's no any logical explanation, right? Right. And that's tough because, you know, we're, we're men that think and try to apply logic to situations. And this, there, there's no fucking method to the madness. It just, it just boggles yeah. the mind. Um, mm. So, I mean, how do you feel going into this match this weekend? Do you think the, um, the good wave we're riding from this last match is going to carry over? I don't know. I mean, I think we might have to approach the game differently than we did the Everton game. I think we'll probably play with three at the back. Away from home, we need to 
just be that bit more cautious. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting about it is that Wembley won't really feel like we're playing at Tottenham's ground. Right. You know, it won't be like playing at White Hart Lane. White Hart Lane, uh, you know, is very definitely Tottenham's ground. Right. The fans are close to the to the to the pitch. It's noisy. They're annoying. Um, but Wembley, of course, is a much more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, it's a watered down football experience. Wembley. Um, there's a lot of people there, but it doesn't quite feel like you know, anyone's home stadium. And we've had a lot of success there as yeah. well over the years, uh, particularly over the last few years. Yeah, this squad has got a lot of good memories. Yeah. Cup. yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't know that the the away hoodoo will exist in our minds as much as it would do if we were going to White Hart Lane. Then I would be a bit more worried. I don't know what I should think about this game because before they came to the Emirates, uh, earlier in the season, I was, you know, very pessimistic <laughs> that we were going to get anything from that game. Yeah, there very, was not there was not a lot going our way at that at that moment moment at all. No, and and then we put in probably one of our best displays of the season and win two nil, and we were comfortable throughout that game. Um, so that's a positive as well that these players know that they can they can beat this Tottenham team. They can deal with Harry Kane. They can deal with Deli Ali. They can deal with Christian Eriksen um, before, and they can do it again if they're focused and if they they put their minds to it. But, you know, a derby is one of those games where regardless of circumstance, regardless of form, regardless of location, regardless of the, the comparable qualities of the two squads, there is an element, I'm not saying it's 100% this, but there is an element of all of that going out the window just because of the kind of game that it is sure right it's it's just the dynamic of this fixture and that's what kind of that's what kind of scares me in this situation because like i said Mm -hmm. i was not optimistic at all in the last one and now i have this cautious optimism that i'm like you know (laughs) to your point i'm like no i think i think we're gonna stick it to him i'm like fuck but i you know like you said that all goes out the window in in a derby so what we feel actually doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> I know as fans, we convince ourselves that, well, actually, I was feeling pessimistic before the last one, and we won. So, shit, I'm feeling a little bit optimistic before this one. So does that mean we're going to lose? Yeah. It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, um, I'm not too superstitious I, I, myself either. No, I know. I have a feeling we're going to win. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to win. I don't know why. And look, someone will replay this to me and say, you asshole, what did you do that for? You jinxed us. No, you, you can just blame me. We, we, always do, we always do a match prediction on the Pinecast. So give me a scoreline and Arsenal's goal scorers, if you, if you may. 2-1, Ozil and Aubameyang. I like it. I'm going, I'm going 3-1, Aubameyang, Ramsey, and Mkhitaryan. Okay. Yeah, going all in on that new attack. Hell, the fuck yeah! I'm. That's what I'm looking forward to. And you know, it, it's, you know, like you said, it's it's so tough to predict in these situations. But I do think there is, there has to be, you know, a buoyed sense of optimism in and around that squad. With you know, you can, mm. you can't not get a lift by having a guy like Mesut Ozil sign a contract extension. You know, you bring in a lightning fast striker mm. who scored what over forty goals last season across all competitions. You know, like there there are legitimate you know, really good reasons as to why these guys should be up for this. And, you know, and they understand it. I really do think we do have enough characters that are in and around the squad who have been with the team long enough to understand 
the importance of it. You know, and I remember seeing, you know, you know, and we, we look at we look at their social media posts and all that stuff of the players and what they do, but they understood how important that victory was to the team and to the supporters at that moment when when everything was so t- so difficult for us in the season earlier. So you know, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I'm really excited. Um, for those of you that will be around in Los Angeles, the fucking ma- these fucking lunchtime kickoffs kill us, Andrew. Oh, that's a what's that for? Four thirty in the fucking morning. So, <laughs> is that, so what is that a is that a what well, you've got to make the big choice, right? Yeah, it's got to make the big choice. Yep, do I yep. do I get up or you do stay I stay up. awake? Yeah, and when it's it's tough because if if you have any sort of prior engagement for the evening before. You're basically mm. shit out of luck because either you're going to sleep for two or three hours and get up all discombobulated and fucked up, or mm. maybe you get fucked up and stay up. I don't know. So those are, yeah. uh, you know, I won't say exactly which one I'm going to do, but there's a good chance that it'll be one, not the other. Um, <laughs> when it's 4.30 in the morning, yeah. So for the, any of you in Southern California, if you want to come out and watch the match, we will be meeting at the parlor in Hollywood. And they'll be opening for us at something like 4.15 in the fucking morning. When they aren't even allowed to sell wow. booze or pints, but they'll be serving breakfast and there'll be many, uh, this, this is the new official spot for the LA Gooners here in LA. So, right. So if any of you are out there. Okay. And they can't even sell beer, no? Not until, you know, there's city ordinances where I think 6, 6 a.m. is when you're allowed and certain cities have like 7 a.m. and shit like that. So right. you know, even okay. our, other, our other pubs and whatnot, they'll, they would open the doors for us and, um, and before the groups were so big, sometimes they'd lock the door behind us and serve us pints. But uh, that's that's no longer a thing. And that's not the current establishment we're going to is not going to do that. But you can get your breakfast and hopefully by the time the match is nearly ending, they'll be able to sell us a pint and we can enjoy that in victory over top. Yeah. Victory pints. <laughs> victory pints. That's At six what, in the morning. That's what, that's, what you mean. That's, that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Man, well, dude, I'm telling you the some you know because so many of these big matches have been played at this at these lunchtime kickoffs. Like if you stay up all fucking night. And Arsenal mm. go down. Remember a couple seasons ago, we were down like 4-0 inside 20-something minutes to Liverpool. If your day's ruined yeah. before 5 in the fucking morning, it is terrible. And then you've just, and, and you're, you're coming down, you're looking at yourself like, I just stayed up all night. I haven't slept. Only to have this happen to me now my day's ruined and I haven't even slept the night before now. And it's just all, what kind of life decisions am I making? You got you to kind of t- turn and take a look at yourself. After some yeah, of those, and it's I, like those people who pay like a uh, hundred dollars for a pay per view boxing match, and the guy that they want to win gets knocked out in ten <laughs> seconds. Well, that's why. I, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> and that's why I, you know, I just fucking stream some of those things when that's the case. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Hey, it's been great talking to you, Andrew. Thank you so much for coming on. You can follow Andrew at Arsblog. Check out his writings, his wonderful podcasts, and all that at arsblog.com. Thank you so much, man. It's been been a blast. Uh, great. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Cheers, yeah. man. Cheers. Song that